in school, I was living in a house with three other roommates, and I finally had my own room, which after putting myself through three years of school felt amazing. And I had such a limited budget that I needed to make some conscious choices about what I had to sacrifice in order to pay for five cable channels. And I just remember thinking, five movie channels. Oh my God, is it going to get any better than this? (laughs) So what I sacrificed was uh, my monthly birth control. And so let's just say that my senior year of college was a pretty um, dry one. But I had five movie channels. Name a movie that came out while you uh, Ferris had that Bueller. cable. Well, while oh, while it came out, well, such a quintessential '80s movie for me is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right. I don't even I don't even remember because I had to work that much harder to be able to afford the cable. So I was probably working one of my three jobs. I don't remember watching TV. I'm Tina Robinson, and I'm Meg Buzzy, and this is massively useful thing. Today we're going to talk about the massively useful aspects of Gen X. Generation X. It is defined as including people born between 1965 and 1980. So full disclosure, your two hosts for this podcast uh, fall squarely in Generation X. Right in the middle there. Yep. Proudly. Proudly, yes. What are some stereotypes, Meg, that you have heard about Generation X? Well, Gen X was coined by Douglas Copeland, who wrote a book with the same title. Um, And he is a contemporary of ours. He is a member of this generation. Um, But we are typically known as slackers. Um, There's also this idea that we're a cynical generation, that we sort of turn our backs on the institutions or traditions that the boomers were all about. We watched the institutions that the baby boomers built. The boomer generation is usually seen as those born after World War II, so about 1946 uh, to about 1965. So there were many, many, many people born, and they put the the number at about 75 million, um, with 83 million millennials. So in a lot of ways, Generation X is the sandwich generation because there were only about 65 million of us, a much smaller generation and almost the forgotten generation, the latchkey kids. Right. So famously, Gen X describes um, those of us who, you know, grew up with both parents working. So some of this was Mm -hmm. coming off of um, the women's rights movement in the 60s and 70s. So many of our moms, um, for both political and, of course, economic reasons, were going back to the workplace, and there weren't very many childcare options. And there weren't very many um, safety nets, I think, for a lot of these families. And so we became the kids that stayed home when our parents were out working. And had to come home from school to an empty house and let ourselves in with our keys, hence the latch key. And so there's two, you know, at least two sides to every coin, or there's there's sort of like all these different layers and facets to this. But um, for me, Gen X really embodies both this independent, uh, maybe slightly rebellious, slightly cynical curiosity 
um, and at the same time is really looking to find their place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Generation X is really good at systems thinking and understanding where things fit in the larger picture. I think because we spent our we've spent our lives figuring out where we fit and how we fit into into this puzzle that was designed by the previous generation and is now being overrun and redesigned by the next generation. You read an article, Meg, in BuzzFeed about Generation X well, w- that actually led to us deciding that Generation X was worthy of being on this podcast as a massively useful thing. What was one of your takeaways from that article? Yeah, so I think that there is a perspective that Gen X has by being uh, a small and nimble generation, mm-hmm. by being a generation that was brought up to be sort of scrappy self-starters um, and, and have that independent spirit. Like, Maybe they wish the government was functioning, but, you know, they're just going to get along without it. They're just going to do the work anyway. (laughs) So there's never an expectation that the institutions are going to work. Or as our producer said, that Generation X just fucking does it. They just fucking do the work. They just fucking do the work, which is a spin on the Nike just do it, which was probably designed by a Gen Xer. That great slogan. <laughs> we could probably it. look that up. We, we might need to fact check that one. We might need to fact check that instead of just claim it. So it, it made me think about all the ways in which Gen X is this bridge, right? This bridge um, between two generations, between two worlds. I think one thing that we haven't yet stated that I think is the most important defining characteristic of Gen X is that they worked for a time pre-internet and then they were really the first generation to architect the public internet. And I say public internet because we all know that that the internet was created initially as an engineering and um, military sciences project um, back in the 60s, probably even before then. But, but when it first came into public view and became sort of available as what we know now as the World Wide Web, was just as our generation was getting its foothold in the workplace. I remember I was working for a healthcare publishing company, and this was 1995, and I had to ask permission as a research editor. My, my, my job was to research healthcare in order to create administrative and patient education products. I asked for permission to subscribe to the internet or get access to the internet through AOL. And then I had to pay for it with my own credit card and then get reimbursed every month. And I'll never forget that. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven with all this information that was out there. The founders of Google, squarely Gen X. They were born in 1973. Founder of Twitter, 1976. And Elon Musk, lovable, crazy man that he is, 1971. So they may not have the, uh, I don't know, sexy veneer of the millennial Zuckerbergs and and others. But But we really were the architects of what we we know now as... um, as the web. And and I think we understood the promise of it before, ironically, before it became the sort of pie to baseless marketing that it is right now. Well, we had to experience its growing pains. And I don't know about you. I mean, I grew up using an electric typewriter. 
and lugging that to school and then being exposed to this computer lab that, again, seemed like this amazing experience, but very few people had home computers when I went to school. And so to your point about that scrappiness is that with every new wave of technology, we were... We were adapting. We were the beta testers in a lot of ways. That's that's such a great point. I mean, we really have been... Um, <laughs> The kids who are out on their bikes, like, putting junk together to try and talk to the stars. Yeah. You were talking earlier about the scrappiness that came from a pre-cell phone era when we would go out on our bikes, because that was the form of transportation, and we're just told, be home by dark, with sort of the sense of you don't, you didn't think your parents really cared how you got home. Just be home by dark. And... That same scrappiness when it comes to getting the how, the vision was be home by dark. That was the goal. That was the definition of success. And everything else was left up to us. So there is a stereotype right now in the workplace of millennials, especially the younger ones, struggling with problem solving and struggling when they're not presented with clear-cut steps or processes or procedures. And I say it's a stereotype because there are plenty of younger generations or members of younger generations that are able to do this very well. Sure. I mean, this whole gener- this whole episode is a generalization. Yeah. Except so. all the great things that we can <laughs> apply to us. Exactly. So I, I think that there is this spirit of scrappiness, this spirit of the how you're talking about, I think, is with and through. So say a couple of the things that you heard from your research about how massively useful Gen X are in the workplace right now. So there's a leadership study uh, that was that I read about. So according to a leadership study that looked at more than 25,000 leaders across dozens and dozens of countries and industries, 51% of the leaders fell into Gen X. And other studies have said that most managers today, so leaders of people, fall into Generation X. I read that more Generation Xers came out and rocked the vote in the last election. So despite having small numbers, we are very prominent today in the workplace. And a benefit of having Generation X at work is they know how to get things done. And they're also very good systems thinkers. So they are able to understand the big picture, but all of the pieces within it. And I think it's because they've had to understand their role in the bigger picture since a very early age. How do I fit in to society, into culture, into um institutions that aren't really ready for the changes that we are experiencing firsthand. Exactly. We have one foot in the analog old way. We have one foot in the digital new way. And are able to translate them. Yeah, we're able to translate it because all we've ever done is sort of translate. We were the ones that I think in the workplace right now were the folks who are both sort of nursing, for lack of a better word, nursing the boomers into retirement and sort of bringing up the millennials into roles of more autonomy. That's a really good point. Generation X is mentoring the millennial generation. 
while being concerned that they're being usurped in a lot of ways. And there is a ceiling of baby boomers because uh, older employees are staying in, in the workplace longer, partly because they can't afford to retire, but partly because there are opportunities for them to stay. So you have this small generation that struggles to figure out how to keep progressing upward with their heels being nipped at by a younger generation, eager and hungry and very tech savvy and very nimble and figuring out, okay, what what role do we play? How do we best add value? And you were saying earlier that there's a cynicism around Generation X that oftentimes we just opt out, that rather than continue to fight, we just say, screw it. And we go start other companies or become entrepreneurs or become contractors or find another way that's more tolerant of our uniqueness. I think that's awesome. Meg, what would be a massively useful benefit of having a Gen Xer outside of work in your personal life, maybe as part of your board of directors, your small team of mentors and advisors? So uh, like we said before, for me, a feature of a lot of my peers is that they're pretty adaptive. Um, they're, they're quick at adapting to things. They're kind of agile. Um, and I like collaborators who are like that. That seems to feel like a yes and kind of situation. Like it's, it's easy to improvise if someone feels flexible or adaptable. So I think for me, it would be that sense in both a professional way and a personal way that I'd want someone really, really collaborative and adaptive. And those are the things that, those are two of the characteristics I think um, come somewhat naturally to our generation. And our generation, because we're the sandwich generation, many of us are facing aging parents and navigating what that means. Are the parents in good health? Are they in good financial health? Are they in good physical, mental health? As well as navigating raising the next generation for those folks who have kids. So if you are struggling with either of those challenges, you're going to want a Gen X person in your life to share just hard-earned wisdom. How do you do it? How do you have one hand in elder care and the other hand in kinder care? And how do you not lose yourself in this, what could be a very emotional and mental tug of war? Definitely. I mean, I have an 11 year old um, for whom I'm the primary caregiver and along with my spouse. And then I have uh, a 69 year old mother who I'm also the primary caregiver for. So I know my story is not unusual. There's so many people in our age range that have similar issues and similar responsibilities. And again, I think it's that nimbleness that gets you through. Like we just have to surf it. We just have to stay adaptable. And remember like in our childhoods, we went from three channels to 300 channels that happened in our late childhoods, right? You know, that explosion of information and media, it happened again to us when we were in our early, early, early 20s, late teens, early 20s. It happened again with the internet. So we're used to big 
sort of like cultural explosions where you see this exponential growth, this exponential uncertainty um, and possibility. So it's all about how you look at it. And I think that's, that's the adaptive piece of it. It's like, there's just going to be a ton of change. It's going to continue to change. We're, I believe, going to see our third round of this when the baby boomers hit a sort of peak retirement. And what else is going to happen? Make it happen. Do the work. No one else is going to do it. That piece of garbage is on the ground. Pick it up. So we encourage our listeners and I say listeners because I'm going to do a plug here. All right. We have nearly 400 listens to our podcast, according to our oh, I think uh, platform. I think it's more like 500 now. <gasps> so we have listeners. As you are listening out there, do us a favor. Share your comments, your favorite 80s Gen X toy. Also, I'm going to make a shameless plug, and it feels so much fun to do this. Please subscribe. We are on Spotify. We are on iTunes. We're on Google Play. And most of the other places where fine audio products are distributed. So just Google us and we will come right up. Massively useful thing. I'm Meg Buzzy. And I'm Tina Robinson. Thanks for being with us. What were some of your favorite toys as a Gen X kid? Fashion plates. (gasps) You had fashion plates? I loved fashion plates. Yes, I I was like, wow, you can wear different outfits when you're playing tennis. Yeah, I thought it was just going to be like a tank top and shorts and tennis shoes, but. Raw, 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 creative. Ding!